looking forward to a great morning together. If this morning is your first time at Richview, a special welcome to you. We're happy to have you here today. And just to let you know a little bit about what you can expect, we're going to be here today for about 70 minutes or so. We're going to be singing along with the band, and the words are going to come up on the screen behind me over my left shoulder, so that should help you out along the way. And we're going to be hearing this morning from Pastor Joe. He's going to be talking about significance. Significance, that's a pretty cool word, so we look forward to that. You can follow along in, uh, in the inserts that may be in our bulletin, and our bulletin that you would have received when you came in also tells you about other things that are going on in Richard over the course of the week. Which brings me to Saturday. Saturday is our fix-up cleanup day. So we've had a number of volunteers, and we thank you for that. But if you haven't signed up already and you'd like to help us out, and there's so many different things that you can do for all ability levels, then please see us out at the, um, in the lobby at the table for the sign-up. I look forward to that. And if you're new, we would love to have you out as well because it's a great opportunity for us to get to know you, for you to hang out with us, and, and just do that in a really relaxed and fun way. So now I'm going to invite David Richards up who's going to lead us in commemorating Remembrance Day. Um, good morning. Um, could I uh, ask everyone to stand and uh, let's uh, remember and pray for um, all those who have given their lives um, in, in, for our freedoms um, that we usually take for granted, but uh, so this morning let's uh, stop and um, be thankful for their sacrifice and uh, also remember their families, and lift them up, and the, also people currently uh, putting their lives on the line for our freedoms. Okay. Um, so uh, and I'll lead us in prayer after um, this moment, so let's just bow our heads in silent prayer. Father, um, we are thankful for the men and women who have uh, laid down their lives and paid the ultimate price uh, for our freedoms. And uh, we ask you to um, support their uh, families and survivors uh, uh, and the um, um, ongoing trauma and uh, uh, memories that they deal with, the horrors of, of, uh, of war. So we thank you for them. And uh, similarly, Lord, we th thank you for, um, for sending your son. And thank you, Jesus, for doing the same and uh, laying down your life for ours. Um, because uh, um, as sinners, uh, we do indeed deserve death and uh, punishment. And, uh, so we thank you, Jesus, for paying that penalty for, on our behalf so that uh, we don't have to be eternally separated and condemned 
punished for for our sins because you by, by your love and grace um, paid that penalty for us and uh, we only need to trust in you and follow you as our Lord and Savior um, because you paid that price in our on our behalf so we thank you for that and uh, um, and may we also uh, support and uh, encourage uh, people who, who have done the same uh, and sacrificed and uh, um, so just remember and thank you Lord uh, this morning for, for your penalty and uh, are aware of our sin and um, we ask for your spirit within us to uh, empower us to uh, to live for you and to say no to sin and uh, flee temptation and uh, we just confess our need for you this morning and remind ourselves so thank you lord we we're eternally grateful to you amen please have to take a seat <clears throat> we're so fortunate to have people who are willing to pay that sacrifice for us and we also want to thank God for completing that sacrifice on our behalf as well.
This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. Can you stand with us this morning as we sing this beautiful song to God?
is the Lamb who was saved. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was saved. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was saved. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is amazing love. That you would take my place. Just come forward as we pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that holds nothing back. We thank you that um, that you are a God that is willing to sacrifice and a God that is willing to cover our sin with your blood. God, we thank you for the incredible grace you've given us. We thank you for um, the price that you paid on our behalf, God, and we Rejoice that you have paid that price, God. Um, we just pray that you would teach us to serve you and teach us to, um, to give of ourselves as, as you have required of us, that each person would have um, a deep understanding of what it means to love and to serve you, God. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. This is my Savior's blood. The beauty of heaven wrapped in my shame. The image of love upon death's frame. Having my heart was worth the pain. Joy could you see beyond the grave? Love found my heart with dying for. How wonderful, how glorious, my Savior's God's victorious, my chains are Dead is pain, death to life, grace to grace. It's a bit of a new song, but we need to stand up together and sing with us. 
Seated. <clears throat> Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. He also made me fast. And when I run, That's like one of the best movies of all time if you've never seen Chariots of Fire. But that's the only good part because it's the only accurate part. If you ever studied or, or read about Eric Liddell, because it's based on a true story of the 1924 Olympics, he's this Christian man uh, with deep convictions and he's actually a 100-meter sprinter and he's one of the best in the world. And he finds out at the Olympics that the 100-meter race is going to be on Sunday. And the Sunday is his Sabbath. It's his day that he just doesn't train and he doesn't race. And, and so what he does is he, he just can't do it. It raises all sorts of controversy. It's a big, big thing. It's before we had... It's, it's how they went viral back then in the newspapers, everything. Big, big deal. And then uh, this, this opening opens up in the 400-meter race on a different day, it's on a weekday, so he's allowed to run in the 400-meter race, and you see kind of like the last bit of it there, and he actually wins it 
unbelievable. The guy who trained all his life and was a 100-meter sprinter uh, wins the 400-meter race. But my favorite part, it's only captured here at the very end of the movie, and it's the only part I think that's actually accurate about his story, is the guy looked like an absolute freak when he ran. Because when he ran, you saw it there, that's how he ran. Could you imagine seeing someone doing a 400-meter, 100-meter race and their head's in the air, and you heard his words, and those are his quoted from him, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And, and this is how he worshipped, and, and he looked so ridiculous when he ran. Now, I would say anyone who wins the 100-meter race or the 400-meter race, that's, that's pretty significant, would you agree? That's a pretty pretty significant, significant thing to accomplish in our world and our life. And when you see him doing it, he's got like this joy-filled pleasure. Now, and I think our culture would see that as significant too. What else would you say, and you can yell this out at me, what else would you say that our culture holds up as significant? Money. It's the obvious one. Cars, power, Shoes, labels. labels, yeah, we could go through there, but I mean, as I, you know, as many of us like to quote, the wise, great words of 50 Cent, get rich or die trying. And for most of us, what are we passing on to the next generation when it comes to significance? A man or a woman is judged by the size of their wallet. But I think all of us here would say we want our lives to count. We don't want to live wasted lives. We want some kind of significance in our lives. And there's like this screaming going on in our guts, I want more. This one archbishop by the name of, I believe it's William Temple, he says this, your religion is what you do with your solitude. And what he means by that is when you don't have to think of anything, what do you think of? That's your God and that's your religion. What is it that has a preeminent, what is it that has preeminent thoughts or place in your thoughts? What is it that you most want to think about? What is it that has the highest place in your heart? Is it your career? Is it relationships? Is it the kind of shoes you're going to buy? Is it your looks? Is it money? What is it? And I'm here to tell you today, there's good news. There is more. And the matter of the fact, the Bible says there's a whole lot more. And I want to show you today God's path to significance. And, it, and I don't know what you might think about God. Some of you here might be here for the very first time today. You're not even sure about this God thing, this church thing. But if you listen carefully, I guarantee you by the end of this service, you're going to be going, hmm. All right? So I want to show you this. And please catch this. I'm going to show you the path to significance. And it's not my path. I stole it from the Bible. Actually, I borrowed it because it's still in there. And it's a path that will accelerate your spiritual life, and it's the path that will lead you to significance. So when God walked on the earth as Jesus, he taught that significance wasn't tied to wealth, 
to your wallet. It wasn't tied to the type of shoes that you wear. But he said you could experience it. He said you could experience significance. And he's like, if you want to be great, you can be great. And I want you to be great. And if you want meaning, I want you to have meaning. I created you so that you can fulfill your meaning. But it comes in this radical package. And honestly, I don't know today if you're ready to hear it. Are you ready to hear it? I'm just going to go home, I guess, because no one's ready to hear it. Well, I want to hear it. Do you want to hear it? Okay, right on. Excellent. Jesus says, if you want to be great, if you want to have meaning, if you want significance, you can have it, but it's radical. And here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Are you ready? Serve. Oh. It's pretty disappointing to hear, isn't it? Really dis- Anyone disappointed by that one? <laughs> I mean, I don't dig that. That's the recipe for greatness, significance, service. I mean, I don't know about you. I wish God had picked something else. So we've been going through this series. We've been in this series for two months now on commitment. And we looked at what it means to be committed to the church. We looked at what it means to be committed to being on mission like Jesus was on mission We've looked at what it means to be committed to maturity. I'm going to do one last one for these last two weeks here. And it's this commitment to ministry, this commitment to serving. And and if you're new to church, you're new to just checking out this God thing, today, once again, I just want to remind you, you're going to feel like you're kind of like eavesdropping. It's like you're, you're, you're over at your friend's house and their parents are having this really sensitive conversation and you're overhearing it and you don't know if you should be listening in. I encourage you to listen in. You will get something out of this, even if it sounds like it's an intimate, internal conversation. Peter writes this, and he says, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. The road to significance is paved with service. So what I want to do today is I want to take you on a quick little tour and I'm going to build for you a case and I'm going to show you where I get this out of the Bible so that you can better understand this because this was the life message, this was the life teaching of Jesus. And and this is big, this is a big deal. I'm going to go really out on, on the limb here and say Jesus stated serving as his real existence. Actually, he would even go as far to say as it was his primary existence. And he doesn't get any clearer than what we read here in Mark chapter 10. He says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, I did not come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. And this is unbelievable because he takes something that's so distant and he makes it personal. Here we have the king of the universe coming to earth and he shatters all the stereotypes of what royalty is all about. And he's going to change things around. He's going to turn things upside down. And he's he's going to show us how radical this. He's like, I'm here to serve. In his final example, he models service. So we we go to the last final hours of Jesus, and he knows he's about to hang on that cross. 
He knows in just a few hours, they're going to nail him to a tree. They're going to shred his body. They're going to nail him to a tree. He's going to hang him to the cross. And all the sins of humanity, hell is going to get dumped on him. So his next couple hours are booked. His, his daytime agenda, it is filled. No time for double bookings. His agenda is full. His next day is completely packed. The most important, biggest day in human history is about to happen. His, his daytimer's filled. He, he's told his secretary, I can't take anything else on my agenda. It's packed. No double booking. And then he pulls all his buddies together. He brings his closest friends together, and they have one final meal together. And he says this to them. Jesus knew the hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, washed his towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, and he began to wipe them with the towel he had around them. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So let's just camp here for a minute, okay? Now this foot washing thing, it's, for, I think for a lot of us, it's always kind of rattled us a little bit. I don't think most of us are into foot washing. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think so. so. But back then, was not, it was not too unusual for that culture especially if for servants and for slaves to wash feet, but it was highly unusual for who to do it. Important people, kings, royalty. Would you agree it's probably very unusual for the king of the universe to wash people's feet? Yeah, yeah, respected teachers, they don't do that kind of stuff. So his last message, one of his last messages with his closest friends is, I want to wash your feet. Why the feet? Why the feet? Feet are nasty. Would you agree? My feet are nasty. Would you agree? <laughs> I mean, think about the present day. We've got perfumes. We've got deodorants, fragrances. We've got those foot odorizers, and our feet still stink. Okay, so, so if we go back 2,000 years ago, they don't have nice manicured lawns. They don't have nice roads to walk on. They're walking through sheep droppings, not just goose poop. And, and, and it's gross. And so Jesus gets up to wash their feet. And it's an absolute shock. I mean, why not just brush their hair instead? Why not just kind of like, hey, hey, here's a chair for you. Let me pull it out for you. Have a seat here. Can I get you a coffee? And as he's getting a coffee, now go and do likewise to others. Give them coffees. Why the feet? And it's because those other things, they're not strong enough. They're not strong enough. They're too easy. They're too distant. They're too simple. But when you wash someone's feet, that's a big deal, especially for the king of the universe. Now, some of you, the thought of me washing your feet in front of everyone today would probably seem a bit nauseating. And I've noticed, one thing I've noticed about some of you, like me, you like shoes to have simple access. You know, you wear Velcro, so I'm eyeing some of you right now. I'm thinking, who's going to be my candidate? 
Who am I going to pick on? And you're like, Joe, I would rather have a pack of jackals attack my neck than come up on the stage and have you wash my feet. But look, I got, I got water and I got a towel. Who's coming up? That's what I thought. <laughs> but think about this. This is his last message. Guys, I'm leaving in a couple hours. I'm going up on that cross. And I'm going to die for the sins of humanity. But there's a message I want you to get. You've heard me for three years. You've walked with me for three years. You've seen me do the most unbelievable things. But the message that I want to stick with you, the one that I want you to do for me forever, is what? Serve others. And he drives that point home deeper a couple hours later when he hangs on that cross to serve and to save all of humanity, to forgive my sins and to forgive all your sins. And see, for Jesus, serving wasn't just a good idea. It was the main idea. And you know, you can't escape this. When you study this, I can't get away from the fact that the primary challenge for those of us who are going to be followers of Jesus is to serve. And if you want to accelerate your spiritual growth, and I really want you to accelerate your spiritual growth, you got to serve. Serving is the primary method that God changes you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when it comes to serving, there's a tension in the church when it comes to this thing. And we know that the Bible says to do good works. And we know that society also holds up people as significant to do good works. But for those of us who've been in the church for a little while, or a long while, we know that good works do not save us. You heard that before? We know this. And there's this tension because it sure seems like social workers and nuns in India and personal support workers are the only ones going to heaven. And so we kind of feel guilted or convicted and we're like, you know what, I better make sure I give a cup of cold water to someone in Jesus' name so I got my butt covered when I get to heaven. Anyone ever feel like that? And lots of us get guilted into serving. It's not this joy-filled experience. It's like, well, if I don't do my service for the week or my good deed for the week, I'm going to get cast out. And, it, and it's just something you got to do. And it's not necessarily because the person guilted it, us into it, but it's how we view ourselves. Now, one thing I love about Jesus is he's constantly trying to correct our incorrect views, and I'm going to take you to the most famous example of this, and it's come from Luke chapter 10, and most of you know the story. It's a very famous story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this lawyer, this religious expert, he's saying, what did God build me for? What is the essence of what God requires of me? How do I live insignificance with God right now. And notice Jesus' brilliant response. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The lawyer answered, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Jesus is so sneaky. And if you've ever had a brilliant teacher in your life, a brilliant teacher always does what? They don't tell you the answer. They tell you a great question. And so Jesus traps them. Jesus is always trapping people with questions. This guy comes to try and trap Jesus. Jesus flips the tables on him and traps him with a question. And you're like, that doesn't sound very nice. Why would Jesus trap people? He's trapping people all the time, but he's trapping them with love. Big difference. And the trap is this. Now check this out. You're going to have to listen to this about 100 times before you get it. And here's his point. And here's the trap. Real love doesn't begin until you see you can't really love. Huh? Here it is again. Until you see you're incapable to love, you're incapable to love. Huh? Real love begins when you see you don't have real love. What? See, Jesus knew that this lawyer would give that answer. And as soon as he gives that answer, Jesus goes, that's it, touchdown! Woohoo! That's it, that's perfect love. That's it, that's what the law requires. That's what God wants from you. That's what it means to be a human being. That's what it means to be significant in this life. Perfect love, just do that. Just have perfect love. Live a life of perfect love and you're set. No problem. You'll have significance. Just live a life of perfect love. How are you doing with that today? It's pretty quiet in here. Nobody with a smidgen of honesty believes that they do this. We're not even close, Jesus says. Lawyer, he's like, love perfectly. Eh. Love perfectly and you'll be saved. Love perfectly, you'll go to heaven, lawyer, and God will accept you. You'll have significance. Love perfectly, lawyer. Go ahead. And here's a man, here's a lawyer. He comes and he says, Master, Rabbi, I want to inherit eternal life. And the first thing Jesus says is, real love doesn't start until you see you're not really loving. Huh? See, if you think you're loving, how many of you think you're loving people? You're very wise if you didn't put your hand up. Because Jesus' point is this, you will never love the way I can teach, sorry, you will if you think you're a loving person, you will never love the way I can teach you to love. See, all the studies, all the Gallup polls, all the research indicates that 90% of people believe that they love better than most people. Most people believe they're very loving. Who thinks they're loving? 90% of you put your hands up. You're okay. You're in good company. Yes, I think I am. And if you think you're a loving person, you can never learn the kind of love that Jesus can teach you. Huh? And here's what he's teaching. The first thing he's trying to do is he's trying to discourage the lawyer. 
That's not very nice, is it? But he's trying to discourage the lawyer, and he says, you don't love perfectly. You know perfect love. I can love you like that. No, you can't. You can't love. And that's what he's trying to get across. And you want to argue with me. Joe, I can love. No, you can't. And I want to argue with me. And this very next verse is where many of us find ourselves. This is absolute brilliance. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. Justify, justify. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so here's the whole key of what Jesus is getting at if you're still lost. Jesus is trying to say, you will never justify yourself by your love. You'll never be loving enough. You'll never love perfectly. Real love doesn't start till you see in amazement his love for you paying your debt. And that's on that cross. Until you see that, you will never love. I'm going to show you a pic here and read you a story because the story continues. In reply, Jesus said to the, to the lawyer, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. I left his clothes on because we're a family-friendly service. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by him on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Now let me just tell you for a sec the magnitude of what this Samaritan just did. First of all, he put his life at risk to stop. Because what do we know happens on this road? There's robbers! So first of all, just to stop, think of the worst part in the city, or the country, or the world. It's kind of like, you know a part that's notorious for robbers? He stops there, gets out of the car, and helps this guy. So he's putting his own life at risk. Secondly, he gets his hands dirty. He, he destroys his schedule. He throws his schedule. He's got places to be. He throws his schedule out the window, wherever he was going, and he takes that man to an inn. And, he, and, and the commentators tell you, if you ever read about it, and he gives the innkeeper two coins, that's like two months' rent. That's a lot of money. And you have to remember this especially if you know this story, but if, if you don't know the story, not only is he risking his life, not only is he getting his hands dirty, not only is he destroying his schedule, not only is he giving concrete and, and, and this expensive and this costly kind of help, but the Samaritan is doing it for his sworn enemy. 
the person you despise the most, or the race, a group of people you despise the most in the world right now, or the politician, or whatever it is. You got him in your head? Or her in your head? Or that nation in your head? Or that particular type of people with particular preferences in your head? You got them? That's who he helped. Maybe it's that person you find disgusting. Maybe, maybe in, in that culture back then, Samaritans wanted to kill Jews. And Jews wanted to kill Samaritans. That's how extreme it was. So why does Jesus give such an extreme example? Why such an extreme example? And here's the point. Unless you realize how truly unloving you are, how far you fall short of God's glory, how you're not able to justify yourself, and we're always trying to justify ourselves, doesn't matter how good of works you do, church. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, you'll never be able to receive the love he offers. You're just a bloody, dying mess. Who's the good Samaritan in the story? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. See, we want to justify ourselves and go, we're not so bad. Yes, you are. I'm doing okay. No, you're not. I've done some wonderful things in my life, Joe. I've done some good stuff. Even this week, you should see what I did. You should see my calendar. I'm justified. No, you always fall short. You're just a bloody, half-dying mess. So if Jesus is the good Samaritan, who are you? You're the half-dead, dying, useless guy on the road. That's you. That's you. See, we want to think. Check this out, church, religious people. We like to think that we're doing okay. We like to think that we're the priest of the Levite. We think we're clean. I've done my church thing for the week. I've gone to church. I've paid my tithe. I've done my stuff. I'm good enough. I've, just, I've done some good work. We think we're them. And Jesus' point is so clear. No, you're not. That's your problem. And that's why a lot of us, that's why we're not joy-filled when we serve. Because it's just another obligation. And we have to stop fooling ourselves. We have to stop pretending that we're justified by our works. We're just that we're good enough. We have to stop pretending that we can just step over our mess and our junk. And God is telling you this morning, if you haven't already heard it clearly, that you're a filthy, half-dead, dying mess. Wake up. Don't forget that you're a mess. Don't forget how far you have fallen. And you're like, no, that's not me. I'm not that. Yes, you are. And that's what he's trying to get across to this lawyer. And until you see Jesus as the good Samaritan, you will never be a good Samaritan. Jesus comes along and he gives us everything that is necessary. 
and he comes down and he gets his hands dirty and he comes down to earth and, and he lives this perfect life that you and I should have lived, this perfect life of love that you and I should have lived, but we know we haven't. And he dies this death that every one of us in this room and in this world deserves. And maybe that's smacking you for the first time today. It's finally penetrated. You know what? I have fallen short. You know what? I, I get it now. I don't have it all together. I get it why I need Jesus so bad. Or maybe it's washing over you for the upteenth time. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't have perfect love for God. Oh yeah, that's right. I definitely don't particularly love that person or those people. So therefore, you can't inherit eternal life. How can you then? You need the ultimate good Samaritan. You need the ultimate good neighbor. The ultimate neighbor. Maybe reminder, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time today, let Jesus neighbor you. Let Jesus rescue you. Until you let him, you won't be able to neighbor. You got to see him for who he is. He's the ultimate servant sent for you. He laid down everything for you. Do you want significance that the creator of the universe promises you? Do you want fulfilling purpose? The route to significance is paved by serving. Why is that? Because when you serve, you are being morphed more into the character of Jesus Christ, the perfect neighbor. Because you'll never be more like Jesus than when you serve. If you read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, read those first those four gospels about Jesus, that's what his life consisted of. So I just want to give you two practical challenges before we move into communion. First one's this. I want to, I want to challenge you to evaluate. And, and here's the thing. You can only do this for yourself. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to begin by making a list. It'll come up on the screen in a second. Um, but I want you to make a list. And maybe you do it in your head, but maybe you need to do it on paper. If you're like me, I need to write things down. But as you, as you go, and maybe over the next couple days, weeks, I'd like you to make a list that's called the I could have list. All right? Pretty basic, pretty simple, but I'm calling it an I could have. You might call it something else. But, but the I could have list works like this. Whenever you miss an opportunity to serve, I want you to add it to your list. Okay? So, so it's like, I could have helped clean up the communion cups after the service today, but someone else will do it. Add it to your I could have list. Got it? Or it's like, as you're walking out of here and you see some like pamphlets, bulletins lying around or coffee cups lying around, I could have picked up that cup that someone so eloquently dropped over there, but someone else will get it. That's another add it to your list. Or today when you're at lunch and someone else gets up to go get the drinks. I could have done that, but are you with me? Okay, so, so, so as you're doing that, it sounds kind of depressing, but as you begin making a list of all the places you could have served, 
when you get that list, and it might t- maybe it only take you half a day. It might take you a couple weeks because you might not think about it a lot. But when you're ready, sit down and go through it. Go through it. And, and, and start going through it. And just try to do one thing a day. So, say, I'm just going to try and do one thing today to serve without any recognition. And then if you can, do two things a day. And then, and then if you can do that, do three. Maybe, maybe it gets to four. Maybe you start doing it by the hour. And, and, then, and then it becomes a part of your character. And, and then when it becomes a part of your character, it becomes a part of your lifestyle. And, and then you're on your way to becoming more like Christ. And when, and when you serve, God says, that's my girl. And when you serve, it's, it, God's like, that's my guy. You're starting to look more like, like me. And that brings me pleasure. The real path to significance, it's paved with serving. And second thing, I know that was a long one, that list thing, but let me give you one more. Following communion today, can I encourage you, even here especially, always look for opportunities to serve. So, so there's these things in your chairs. Have you ever seen around? We have these info cards. Those aren't just for new people. But if you're someone here, it doesn't matter if you're a guest, visitor, uh, uh, been here for a little while, member, non-member, it doesn't matter. You can grab one of those cards at any point, grab a pencil, and you can write on, you might write your name and your email or whatever so someone can contact you, knows who you are. But on the back, there's all these check boxes. And, and, and can I encourage you, if you're interested in serving, you don't even know where to begin, or, or you're like, man, I just, I'd like to do something, I'd like to just start this process, check one of those boxes, just put, I just want to serve, stick me wherever, or I'd just like to try something, write it there, and someone will follow up with you. You can take that card, you can fill one out every week if you want, and, and back in the, in the guest info area, in the foyer, there's a big white, big clear box, you can stick it in there, and, and someone will get back to you. Last thing here, really serving isn't convenient. It's dirty, and it can really cost you. Sign me up. I want to be joy-filled. I want to be more like Jesus. I want real, lasting significance. Let's pray. God, thank you for this example from Scripture, examples from Scripture that you modeled to perfection for us of what it means to lay down our lives, of why you even came. Uh, You've given us uh, truly the path to significance. And God, I just speak for myself right now. I am so lazy. I'm so distracted. I have my own self-interest. God, I pray for every one of us here who feel disconnected, who don't feel a whole lot like you today, Christ. You've given us this path to significance, this way to serve. And whether we're 10 or we're 110, um, you want to use us. Help us to align ourselves to enjoy uh, these gifts and abilities you've given us for your, uh, for your glory. Help us to uh, 
just to live for your pleasure, live for the joy that comes from just um, being more and more like your son, Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here today who recognizes and realizes that they've been living a life trying to justify themselves through their good works. And today they've come to the realization that they've fallen short. Um, They've missed the mark. Uh, They've been living a life of busyness and good things um, and and trying trying so hard through all their actions um, to inherit heaven and to inherit a relationship with you. And they've come to realize, God, I'm not working. My life's chaos. I'm not experiencing any joy. And they've been, they've seen and they've recognized that they're in need of an internal power washing from you. They're in need of a fresh start. They're in need of you becoming the ultimate neighbor, (laughs) the ultimate good Samaritan. And they're in need of transformation. God, I pray right now um, that they would just call out to you. They would reach out to you. They would uh, lift their eyes to you. They would pray to you and just say, God, here I am. I know I've fallen short. I know I no longer through my actions can justify myself. I am a mess. I am a dying, bloody mess. And I'm in need of that sacrifice. I'm in need of that good Samaritan. I'm in need of your son, Jesus to take care, take care of and get rid of all this junk and all this dirt and all this crap that I have lifted above you. God, today, begin new with me. Wash me clean. Refresh me. Renew me. And make me more like Jesus. Hear my prayer, God. And God, just honor those prayers of anyone here who's uh, made that decision to get things right with you to start in a new fresh way with you, to neighbor with you, to recognize you as the ultimate good Samaritan. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you're done and what you're doing. God, help us to be a church. That is going after true and real significance, not what the world's offering. Help every one of us to be bent on being joy-filled followers of yours who serve with every ounce of our being and God give us the strength to live that way and keep our eyes on you. Thank you for the ultimate example you gave us. Help us to put others before ourselves in your precious name. DA, DA, do you want to come up? Sure. Thanks. Joe's told us how Jesus, the servant king, washed his disciples' feet. And at the same time he did that, he initiates a a meal, a meal of, of fellowship, of union with him, And we call it breaking bread together or communion. 
And so when we come together and we share communion together, what are we doing? We're remembering that with the bread that Jesus' body was broken for us. The Bible says it was broken. He was beaten so badly that people didn't even want to look at him. That's his body was broken for us. And we remember that he died for us. And that he, those, by dying for us, he breaks the chains that hold us. And he initiates this meal to saying, I love you guys. Okay. No matter what. And Joe said, we can never do enough. We love to say, well, I'm doing this and this and this for the Lord. No, we can never do enough. It's not good enough. And Jesus says, you're right, but I'm going to do it for you. When God looks at you and see, sees what you've done, your stuff, Jesus takes that stuff and says, put it on me. Put it on me. So by taking communion, we're siding with Jesus and thanking him for what he's done. And we're looking forward to being with him in the end. He overcome death, and that's what we, he offers us. And we're committing to live as he did, as Joe said. We want to live like him in service to others, poured out in service to others. And he doesn't just say, well, there, that's it. He says, no, I'll come and live with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll help you do this. And all you have to do is ask me to come. That's all you have to do. So breaking bread together is a time for honesty with ourselves and with God. And it's a place of remembering, cleansing, and a new beginning. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Forgive me. Thank you that you died on a cross for me so I can be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you, instead of judging me, extend love and grace and mercy. And help me, Lord, to extend that love and grace and mercy to others. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that our, my life can be poured out in sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll now sing Break Every Chain. Jesus said, I have come to set you free and breaks all the chains that hold us back from coming into relationship with him. So during the song, if you can move to your right and go to the back and get a piece of bread and a cup, we'll come back to our seats and share that together. And also if there's somebody around you who isn't able to get up, can you please help them? Thanks. <coughs> Thank you.
Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Every chain. 